0: Hey, hello, I'm Tommy Chong. If you want something really nice in your laboratory, buy DuraChill. I'm telling you, if you're not using this DuraChill, you're not really in the pot business. You're just on the fringe of it. So if you really want to get serious, man, this is what you need, you need a DuraChill in your life. You've got the technology here to have the cleanest, purest, healthiest product. I'm impressed. You want me to sell this? Buy it. Try DuraChill or else. If your chillers down, you ain't making money. And you heard it from me, Tommy Chong.
1: Brought to you by Poly Science. This is for Cannabis and Tech Today, Cannabis Tech Talks. You're chopping it up with Chuck, and we are here with Josh Kesselman, the founder of Raw Rolling Papers. Welcome, Josh. Hey, great to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Um, we'll jump right into it. You started collecting rolling papers when you were young and had a passion for them because of your father. At what point did you realize you had a real authentic brand uh, and not just a business, you know, or a passion? Wow.
0: Okay. That's, I've never, no one's ever asked that before. So it's a tough one. And when, now, are you talking reference to Raw? Because I've had many brands before Raw.
1: Yeah. I was thinking Raw, but... I
0: I have an answer for you. Okay, so here's what it was. I was out at a club with some friends and the the waitress uh, was talking to my friends and suddenly she turned to me and said, oh my God, you make GCJs? I love those. Now that's like, oh, 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. So that's the first time when I realized that maybe I have a brand, you know? Things were actually starting to, where people actually recognized the product. And over the years that continued where I just judge it based on personal reaction from people I'm around. When they start saying like oh my god i love your elements i love your two cjs and then when suddenly it turned into raw it got escalated through the freaking roof you know where it was like holy crap so um i guess we really recognized we had a brand when other people were recognizing the brand that was really what it was
1: yeah and your your brand was was based around sustainability Kind of before it was even cool. Like now, you know, the cannabis industry. You hear a lot of talk about sustainability. Yeah. Um, what does sustainability mean to you, and why? Uh, why do you think cannabis was late to the party with hmm. sustainability?
0: Cannabis still is late to the party. Yeah, <laughs> it really yeah. is. Uh, sorry, that part really hurts me. That's where you know. So this is like, it's based on the way that I live. Like I'm vegan. I've been vegan now for like 20 years. I um I just don't want to leave the planet worse than I got it. You know, it isn't. A, I've got a daughter now, but this is long before she was born. It's just a, a way that I think, which is like you're trying not to take more than you give mm-hmm. and try to create balance in that regard. So if you're creating a plastic product, it's really difficult to not be taking from the planet more than you're giving to the planet. If you're using certain chemicals that are really harsh, that are extremely synthetic and you learn how they're made Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you realize that man i i don't want to make any of that stuff i don't want to do that i don't want to do this to this planet you look at it the earth is one big living being you know so if you're pissing acid on it you're, you're not doing the right thing i saw with um with raw i kind of just it wasn't a product i was making for the masses it wasn't something that i was making for like oh, people are going to want this, like, like a mass market. It was really like I was picturing my friends and my friend's girlfriend. She was this bl- blonde girl with, with hippie dreads, you know? And I was trying to make a product that they would really love. And they were the headiest smokers I knew. Like, knew every aspect of it, you know, grew their own, every little freaking detail. So I wanted to make a paper for them that I could just picture them truly connected with and truly loving to fit within yeah. their way of living, you know? And... That's what Raw was really about. That's why it, there were so many rules that had to be with it.
1: Did it come up in conversation before you came up with Raw? Like, you know, why don't we have natural rolling papers? No, or No,
0: no one said that to me. Wow. I wish they had, it would have made it easier. But no, no, I, I, the history of it was natural cigarettes that a customer of mine asked me to bring in for him in 1993. And when I brought him in, um, he offered me one back and he had spent all this time telling me, oh, this is natural, natural, so much better, so much better. Oh my God, it's all natural, I'm Like, cool. And he pulls it out of the pack and hands it to me. And it's a typical bright white bleached um, cigarette paper yeah. there. And I looked at that and I was like, what the? Because he had talked to me about natural for so long. Then I, I thought back to my collection. And I had a big collection, man. And I thought back to everything I'd ever seen in the history of rolling papers and realized the type of paper I was envisioning for that natural cigarette didn't exist. It never had. And then it was like, I started thinking, okay, wait a minute. That brought me into the thing. Wait, why, are, why are rolling papers white to begin with? That yeah. brought me down a whole rabbit hole of, of learning and, and knowledge to recognize really that's really stupid
1: and yeah, why are they
0: uh i'll, see, I'll give it to you in the short version. okay all right columbus comes back and i know this is long but it was a short version columbus comes back lands in spain with these hand loose tied cigars in seville by the way uh-huh. uh, they're tied with a string they're wrapped in a combination of tobacco and banana leaves um, the aristocrats start smoking them the trade in tobacco begins between the new world and the old world. And people smoke these cigars, they resonate like crazy. And about halfway through, they do something called turning, which means they turn bad, they're no longer smokeable, they are disgusting. Uh, the aristocrat would throw it down on the ground like trash and the peasants would come and grab it and open it up and re-roll it in used newspaper. Now by doing this, even then, every puff is so precious that they begin holding a smoke in. And this is where cigarettes are born, uh, just from that. Well now this process of rolling and used newspaper makes its way from Seville up to Valencia to Alcoy. Alcoy is at this point the paper-making capital of um, all of Europe. Uh, Paper had been brought there by the Moors and um, it was just the perfect condition so this is the paper-making capital of Europe. Well the Alcoyanos take one look at this and say no way they know what's in that newspaper and some very strong chemicals and they decide instead we're going to make a special paper just for this and they're trying to show you that it's not used newspaper, uh. so they make it bright white and market it. The earliest ones I've seen hygienical. They're trying to show you that it's a pure,
1: clean, clean, yeah,
0: bright white, all bleached out. You know, look how clean this is, yeah. look how white it is, like clothing. You know, yeah. and they made this paper like that, and that stuck, so that hundreds of years later, we're still trying to show the world that we're not smoking out of used newspaper. And I realized how stupid that was. It just it's a human nature thing once we start doing something one way mm-hmm. we don't often change it you know and then the factories will be set up to make bright white paper and then they have to change everything why was something to go to natural when they've been making it this way for so long and people are accepting it? why would you change it you know and it had to go it had to go and it was a quite the process quite the journey but i pulled it off
1: <laughs> you know it's just crazy that throughout you know all the years that nobody had ever thought that to make a more you know natural product it was just accepted. This is how they are. This
0: is how they are. Yeah. If you think about it, you cut down a tree, you cut down hemp, cut down anything. It's not bright white on right. the right.
1: Yeah. No. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. There's nothing bright white about the tree I or know, anything in there. there. <laughs> hemp stalks. Stalks. Nothing is bright white. Well, you, you mentioned Alcoy, Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about your factory there. Like, how, sure. how did you discover it? Is this, is this like the main factory?
0: Well, this is the, um, it's the family's factory, it's uh-huh. mine, and it's uh, the last, what we call, it's the last remaining rolling paper, authentic rolling paper factory in Alcoy. It's the last of the old ones. Mm-hmm. Its lineage can be traced back to the original rolling paper factories hundreds of years ago. Uh, Rolling papers have been made in Alcoy, originally they were made in small, very small, I wouldn't even call it a factory. It would be like um, a small little production thing in your house. Yeah. And you would uh, mash up the fibers, you would spread out the sheets, you would dry it and make paper. It isn't really in your house, but it's a small, small, small factory like this. Then larger factories were born that could do it in a faster way, then eventually continuous machines, instead of hanging the pulp on screens, literally in the air to dry it, now continuous machines kind of like, you ever looked inside like a pizza, one of the cheaper pizza places? Yeah. I say paper, not, a non-authentic pizza place. Yeah. You go into fucking Domino's, sorry to curse. Yeah. You go into freaking <laughs> yeah, Domino's, We curse right? all the time. And you look in there, and you'll see that machine that just kind of moves the stuff through the oven. That's not a real pizza oven, man, because it's not compressing it's not getting that same, but it works, Yeah. Right? And it's kind of like that with paper. Uh, it's a continuous, which is much faster, but it's, um, and it, it's just not as, in each sheet is not going to be as unique yeah. as if we were making it by hand on screens i'd love to go back to the old way but it'd be really hard to get anyone to do it with me <laughs> <laughs> so um because you know, paper making is art now the the actual process of making paper now is so um, automated and so perfected mm-hmm. that that's not the hard part anymore that's the easy part of making the base sheet mm-hmm. that's easy man it's like um michelangelo's uh, canvas Ah, give me the canvas here we go thanks that's great now you gotta paint on it man <laughs> and painting on it in in rolling paper artistry is um finishing the paper properly when you get the paper I don't know, i'll tell you i can sit here I'll, I'll go on for hours but essentially you're trying to make it burn better uh-huh. you're trying to re um reinvigorate the paper kind of reactivate it to get it to more smooth create more of a mellow burn, yeah. something that uh, is gonna run less, it'll feel better in your Burns hair, evenly. Much more evenly. Yeah. And you're really trying to seek for perfection. Something I learned in Alcoy was that micro changes, which are very hard to do, but even the smallest things can actually have a big impact in the final product. So instead of looking at it from like, how can we make more of this cheaper? You look at it for how can we make this better? Yeah. What can we do to improve that? What about Quality. That? it isn't just quality yeah the quality can be done by like you know the toyota toyota makes a great car the camry that's a great car i mm-hmm. think will never break it'll run for a zillion miles but it doesn't have the heart and mm-hmm. soul yeah of like a hand-built bentley you mm-hmm. know what i mean it just doesn't have that feeling that yeah connection. you know you don't get in it and be like this freaking car is alive man yeah. you know <laughs> it's um it's so it's kind of like that it's it's the opposite of genericism. It's the opposite of homogenization. Yeah, You're trying to really look for ways to, how is that thing performing? What can I do to make it better? What does better mean? It doesn't mean that every sheet is the same. Yeah. It's actually the opposite of that because you're trying to make it more natural, are trying to bring it back. I wanna make it more where like each sheet gives the consumer the end smoker the experience I want them to have, which the experience I want them to have yeah. is to smoke the best rolling paper that's ever been made in the history of mankind, up till now. That up till now is very important because this is part of an Alcoyano tradition, where each person who becomes the old man of Alcoy, which I think is me at the moment, has this, um, uh, we carry forward this link in the chain thought, that you are just a link in the chain, and you want to be the best link in that chain you could be, knowing full well that your time's gonna end, and someone else will be the next link. And while you're being that best link, your goal is to make the best rolling paper that's ever been made. Try to outdo everyone before you. Take all their knowledge, all their... If it's you're your lucky. legacy. Yeah, it's your legacy. Yeah. If you're lucky, you get some of their machines, like we've gotten. And some yeah. of their knowledge, and some of their workers even. And you try to make it even better than it's been made before. By looking at small details and nuances. Yeah. What type of water are you using? For your, every little thing is, is important.
1: Yeah. And have you made improvements to the factory? didn't yeah. you, you uh, yeah, yeah tell us about trying, that like, oh I can't
0: tell you about it yeah. i love to know <laughs> no like, it's um, the there's so many things I, I want to share with people and I share what I can uh-huh. on social media um, like sometimes pushing it even further than I want to but I can't show some of the I can't show any of the really best parts yeah because you know Slugworth is out there watching and Slugworth is not as an individual person by the way yeah it's a person it's, it's a mindset that um, some of my competitors have and the only way I can describe it is to call it Slumber. And not all of them have it. Some of my competitors are really good people. And some of them are just like wh- following me around like a, a giant Xerox machine. Yeah. So it's the, the Xerox machine guys that I can't, because of them, I can't show the coolest things. And I wish I could, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good. I mean, you know, it's the secret sauce. It's, yeah. uh, you know. Um, how did the pandemic affect uh, your factory?
0: Well, in Alcoy, it was, it was very difficult mm-hmm. um, because we like to work. Yeah. We like what we do, so being told that we are not allowed to work is hard for us. Mm-hmm. And also, the Alcoyanas are very family-oriented, um, so being told you can't visit your family you can't—it was—it was very difficult up in Spain. Uh, uh, it really hurt. However, we got permission from the mayor to stay open—special mm. permission. We had to put in very strong COVID precautions. What we did is basically every other machine was working so in order to keep people further away from each other. And then the employees themselves, like all, they had to come in in their own vehicles, they weren't allowed to carpool, and they basically had to agree that they would truly isolate from anyone else that was not already living in their household, and anyone who was in their household to isolate as well. Wow. We did so many precautions. Yeah. And um, we opened up a lot more outdoor space as well. But yeah, it, and there was a lot of testing. We did some very interesting testing that I wish was done here and yet wasn't. According to what we read, it was easier to tell if you had COVID yeah. through a smell test, and it was it was more prevalent that you would lose smell than if you had a fever. Uh. So then why are we checking fevers when we could do smell tests? So sure, everyone had to do a temperature check on the yeah. way of course, but they also had to do a smell test. To can you smell this? We had some local essential oils. Yeah. If you can't smell this, let us know. More than five times, people would come in after especially after weekend and. Fail the self, felt that they're freaking out. They would run off to get COVID tested, and turn out they had COVID based on a smell test. Wow. So that we never had a single outbreak of COVID within the factory. We never had a transmission within the factory. We really did like our our guys really held tight, yeah. and they did incredibly well. The other thing we did was we switched to twenty four hour shifts because we could only operate over the machine to try to mitigate that. Yeah, and we were able to actually produce more paper than we had before um, the pandemic started during the pandemic. They worked so hard.
1: You really, but you really stayed ahead of it. And, and you, you cared. You cared about the people. Okay. You cared about the process. Yeah, and I yeah. feel like a lot of uh, companies that had problems during this time had to shut down. They didn't take it seriously or they didn't care, which leads me to, you know, we're here at your headquarters. This is very impressive. Um, talk about your corporate culture. You yeah. know, what's I, I it like, of, like? All
0: that stuff. We did all those other things, too. Like, even in here, we have yeah. those, we have those um, every room has those air scrubbers up, up above us, uh-huh. right? all the stuff that's constantly circulating in the air and trying to kill every virus that possibly can. And we did so many precautions here in Phoenix, too. And again, our guys switched to shifts that, starting at, at like 3 a.m., Yeah, just to, so they could stay away from each other and keep the place open. Wow. I was, I'm so proud of our staff uh, worldwide, um, that how hard they yeah. worked and tried stay open now, a lot of these people were, didn't have to be here you know uh-huh. and then we had another thing that happened here in phoenix where so many of our employees that were not primary breadwinners uh-huh. became primary breadwinners for during uh, during the initial you know the first few months of COVID, and because their their husbands or spouses would be laid off so then we realized okay these guys are really they're really in charge now so we started giving them um, extreme bonuses very strong bonuses to all of our staff not to the management staff yeah. to the actual, you know, workers, uh-huh. warehouse workers, people like that, enough to make it where they could make get through with their families through all of this. So it was it was a good it was a hard time for all of us. Yeah. But you know, there's so many quotes that I've heard about this over the years that in troubled times, that's when people really can shine. Yeah. So like, I'm hoping my staff and all of our people will look back at this and, and be like, no, those guys really they they cared. Yeah. Like the thing we're trying to show the uh, everyone around us is we we. We really care, man. Yeah. And we want you to care, too. And we're going to show you that by caring about you. (laughs) You
1: Yeah. Yeah. It it just, it says a lot, you know, about your corporate culture. I mean, that you, that you care. There was a lot of companies that as soon as the pandemic hit, they just laid people off, you know, told them to go collect unemployment. Nobody, nobody got laid off. There were, there were
0: um, five people that that their jobs were ones that had to be done on site. They couldn't do it off site. Yeah. And yet they were too high risk. We couldn't let them come in. We we just paid them.
1: Yeah.
0: We'll just pay you to stay home don't come in and, and
1: yeah. don't go out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. I bet you have a lot of people that want to be part of the raw team.
0: Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. We never have enough people. I always need more good people. I, I wish I had more. I really do. If he was, Oh, I want to work for you. I, I want you to work for me too.
1: See, and that <laughs> says a lot about your company and your corporate culture, because right now there's a lot of places that can't get workers, yeah. you know? And what does that say about them?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. you, you might ask yourself does someone want to work there would you want yeah. to work there because everyone wants to work here i don't have yeah. anybody um once in a while i'll get someone who moves on to some dream job of theirs i had a, a warehouse guy who moved on to become a diesel mechanic because he wanted to yeah but nobody leaves here because like oh i hated here now if you're here six months mm-hmm. you're realistically just going to be here if you're here a year you're probably never leaving me <laughs>
1: just, it's just the odds you're, you're in
0: here. yeah you're just here that's it you're not you know okay well you can move up yeah but you can't move out they just don't go I like
1: it that way. That is good, that is good. All right, let's switch gears for a second. Sure. Um, hip-hop is currently the most popular form of music in the United States. Yes, it is. I remember listening to hip hop when I was coming up, and you either listened to rock, or you listened to country, or you listened to hip hop. Music yeah. was like very segregated; it was kind of who you are. So I think it's awesome that that we've got to this point right here. Can you speak a little bit about kind of hip hop culture? Like, are you a, are you a hip hop enthusiast? And also speak a little bit to uh, you know to the raw brand and hip hop.
0: Sure, I, of course I'm a hip hop enthusiast. I like the feeling that certain hip-hop music gives me. See, music is really about uh, sharing a feeling, which is no different than sharing a cone. Mm-hmm. It's all sharing feelings through smoke. It's all the same thing. And once you realize that, if you look at it like that, then you can understand why hip-hop and smoke culture are so intertwined. Yeah, right? You're really sharing a feeling. And a lot of that feeling is related to smoke culture, which is beautiful. Yeah. So um, what, we didn't go out and do anything specific. It isn't like, oh, we're going to go capture hip-hop and make Raw the hip hop brand. Hip hop came to us, they loved our stuff. Everything we've done, every like all the hip hop artists we've it was worked natural. With, it was all natural. People came to us because they loved our stuff. Yeah. And then later on, when people come back to us and say, I want $5 million to smoke your stuff, our answer is always like, no. I mean, do you already <laughs> smoke it? You know what I mean? Do you, are, are you already one of our people? Because we really just want to work with people that love Raw yeah. as much as we do. I can't pay you to smoke my stuff. It has to be you smoke my stuff because you love it and then we'll find a way to work together. We'll work this out. But it has to be come from a love, a place of true love. Yeah, not from a place of pay me.
1: I, I like how you said that too. That music it creates a state. Right, yeah. Like you play a certain song or whatever, yeah. and it can get you in a state, it also can transform you, right? You hear a song, you know, from a couple of years ago, it takes you right back, back to yeah. that summer, to that moment, to that. And, and yeah, same thing with, uh, you know, with smoking. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. all,
0: it's really, it, it really all is the same thing. Either I'm, I'm trying to share feelings through paper, Yeah. I'm trying to feel, share feelings through, through music. It's, um, other people are trying to feel uh, share feelings yeah. through material we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. And I think it's beautiful, you
1: it, know? It is, and it's authentic. It is. And I think that one of the cool things about authenticity is that people are starving for it. They are. Right? Yeah. Like it's just, there's so much fakeness out there that authenticity, especially like on social media, yeah. I think people gravitate towards it. Can <laughs> yeah. you talk a little bit about your, your social media following and uh, sure. you know what it means to you?
0: Well, I, I really enjoy, uh, I enjoy. How do you even say this better? I freaking love having so, such there a strong you go. social media following. I really do. Because, like, when I go outside and walk mm-hmm. down the block and someone recognizes me in come company and be like, oh, my God, your videos changed my life, they made me so happy. Yeah. You know how fucking happy that makes me? Oh, man. Right. So then I'm, now I'm always scared lately. I'll be honest. Yes. I'm scared I'm going to lose my damn social media account. Yeah. Like, you like, I'll be scared. I'm like, oh, how about? And then someone says that to me. And I'm like, I can't lose this fucking account. I've reached so many people. I've made so many people fucking happy. I can't, I can't stop that.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: fuck. I don't want to lose this at all. Shit! I got to fucking do whatever I can not to lose the cat. And I got to build it. But it, it, it means so much to have to that it isn't like, isn't to be recognized. Who gives a fuck about that? O.J. Simpson gets recognized. Yeah. No, man. You want to be recognized because people are like, dude, you made me so happy. One way or another, whatever they're saying. Yeah. You want it to be that you uplifted them. You made them happy. You made their life better in some way. Because I think that's what humanity is really supposed to be about. Yeah. Especially in our fucking culture. Yeah. Like I, I want to listen to a TED talk. About some guy saying we should get rid of money and basically replace it with happiness points. Like, did you make people happy? Did you uplift? Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, that would be fucking epic. Because that that something that's something I would strive for for yeah. fucking sure. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Instead of like that, instead of pharma bro yeah. making money by by hurting all of us, right? Yeah. It's you could only make money by doing positive things. What if we live in a world like that? Like fuck, man, that would be so much better than this. people say capitalism is. is root of all your capitalism is the problem it's not capitalism it's what capitalism is based on yeah we kind of have to shift our society towards rewarding people that truly better society or uplift people like musicians and people anything like that yeah if we can just kind of shift
1: comedians our reward base, comedian, yeah. yeah shift Artists. our reward
0: basis for people that help and elevate society real doctors mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah true inventors things like that then we would have a better place it isn't capitalism it's what we're based on here man yeah the fact that you can cheat your way through it is the issue you know fuck wall street fuck all that shit and those guys aren't helping us yeah they're not helping the fucking world but you know it it's Ah, I'll go off on a tangent. I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. I mean, I just, I okay, think... so social media means a lot to me. We were talking about social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Social media means a lot, yeah. a lot to me. I want to be able to talk to people. I want to be able to get positive messages out into yeah. the world and uplift them because I know that when I go, the only thing left behind that anyone will remember me by yeah. are those social media videos. Yeah. And this thing where I start talking fast and going fast. This goes back to when I was a kid and I had a stutter, huh. Right? And I go see speech therapists and all that stuff my mom made me go to my grandma actually took me and remember right now <laughs> and i was having a lot of trouble with it and one day i heard him say to my grandma um josh needs to understand that his brain is moving faster than his mouth can and that's causing the stutter well i heard that and i was like i remember being a little kid and thinking i can just talk faster ah. right and then i started just talking so fast that it was ludicrous, you know what I mean? Like, I could recognize that, I can recognize that. But um, that got me out of stuttering. Yeah. Because then I could slow it down a little bit to get to a medium point. So when I start going on my videos and, I, and you see me going so fucking fast and jumping around all happy like that. Yeah. That's because I start getting pumped and it becomes so much fun for me to make that video. Yeah. And I'm letting out my little kid who wants to talk so fucking fast and I'm jumping around. Me, and my energy is going through the fucking ceiling. Yeah. And when the video is done, I'm just like, I feel fucking great! You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I'm so fucking hyped. When I start off doing a video, sometimes I'll be low. You know what I mean? Like when I was doing a video for this jar that no one can see but you. Yeah. When I was doing a video with, with this jar. I'm looking at it first, thinking, "What do people really need to know about?" And I'll do like a little draft. Oh, you know, it's a cool jar. It does this. Out. And I'm like, "Oh my god, the handle! Look how it goes like that! Oh my god, look! You got a recharge one thing! Oh my god, look at that light! That light is fucking really bright!" And next thing I start getting excited. Yeah. Doing, I do the video again and again. Next thing you know, it's so fucking hype. People are like, oh my God, you must be smoking crack. I'm like, hell no. (laughs) Hell no, (laughs) man. Shit. No fucking way. That would end the party way too soon. Uh Uh-uh. But just, it's, um, that's, that's, goes back to the same thing. That's one of the reasons I enjoy social media. I love it when I get to make a video that I'm enjoying where I'm having fucking fun and then I share that with the world and then they enjoy it and it makes them happy too. Well, shit, man, that's fucking, that's like the definition of epic, you know? People
1: love it and you know what I've noticed too is that a lot of times, you know, social media posts are full of all kinds of trolls and things like that. You know, people jumping in there just kind of, you know, just just they can't wait to piss on someone's idea or the thing or whatever. I don't notice that as much with your stuff. It seems like your fault followers kind of are getting that vibe from you and yeah. they seem you know again there's always going to be trolls there's always going to be assholes but yeah you're, you're just the whole flow and vibe of is it's it seems positive it seems kind it of is. encouraging I, and community
0: well here's what I did when, when I started getting some trolls yeah um, uh, I, I, as they were coming on I or you, I didn't it's not that. oh people say I won't engage with them you delete the block I'm sure you can do that too mm-hmm. but what I did was like if they would pick on me I would tell him basically my response to them one way or another would be basically telling them dude, you you don't know the half of it. Yeah. Like, oh my God, you have a you, you have a lisp. Yep, I do. You know what else I do? You know what I mean? I just, <laughs> yeah. just fucking make fun of myself worse than they ever could. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And I and I dress funny too, dude. And yeah, once in a while my left eye twitch. You wanna know what else you wanna know? And it, it's it's um it would just be like, what but you you suck. Oh, dude, of course I do. I'm the worst guy yeah. in the fucking world. Yeah. You know whatever they're telling me. Whatever they're saying, I'm just going to be completely as I can. Try to just deflect it with pure honesty of like, "Yeah, man, you're you're right. Yep."
1: It's like an Eight Mile when Eminem comes out and you know says everything that he's going to say about him. They have nothing yeah, left, nothing to, left say. to say. I can,
0: I, I, I can make fun of myself worse than anyone else in the fucking world, dude. Yeah. And it, it's um, but I try not to. Re- I try not to respond with any form of negativity because it's just not going to go anywhere. It's not. It's just not going to help. Yeah. It's, um, if someone tells me I don't know how to roll, you're right. I could definitely roll better. I should have taken my time and rolled
1: another one. You're right.
0: You know what I mean? I could definitely roll better. I can learn another (laughs) trick. You're totally right, bro. Sounds
1: absurd to me, but I'm. You
0: you you rolled that too loose. You're right. I should have tapped it ten times more, man. (laughs) The
1: (laughs) The world's. It's
0: just, it's, um, I don't, I I can't go at them.
1: Yeah. No, it's. No. I I could
0: share knowledge. Yeah. But that's about it.
1: Yeah. And you got a production, uh, studio at your home? (laughs) You got you you're, you're cranking out this content
0: <laughs> <laughs> Okay, my production studio is this iPhone here and I think I have a cordless mic plugged in right over there that I plug into the iPhone That's it man. That's it.
1: That's it. I got
0: nothing I got that in my office. You see, I don't people think I have a studio or a store. yeah, it's one wall in my office we just stuck up a bunch of product on the wall, and I stuck some old baker's desk in front of it. Yeah, just use that for filming. That's awesome. And then when I'm done filming, I'm back over to my work. I work desk to try to finish the work. It's um, my house has nothing. I got no studio. I got nothing.
1: Yeah, it, it, I was picturing you're gonna have some big like Snoop Dogg set up, no, you know, mixers nothing. and all I kinds. Got of stuff. Nothing, man, I got buckets. <laughs> do you have? Do you like toys, cars, motorcycles, things like that? Okay, I'm glad you asked.
0: I'm glad you asked about that like i i, I like actual toys, toys uh-huh. the toy has to be fun is what i came to recognize all right so like electric bikes for me are fun yeah so i got a bunch of little electric bikes that i fucking have so much fun on you know <laughs> they actually are fun i got skateboards galore yeah um stuff like that my um i had a badass harley and then i had a bad hit and run where they cracked my foot in three spots oh wow. and it was so not my fault like so unavoidable that all i could do was save my own life that i realized i got i gotta stop I gotta stop riding that bike and so, so many other friends have gotten hurt so here in arizona i decided i wasn't riding anymore i, I fixed my bike back up I, I i got this bike just to teach my daughter how to wrench yeah um an older harley just a sportster people are like oh my god you should get the, you're so you should be at the biggest baddest harley ever i'm like nah i just want a little 1200 iron heads yeah uh, evo sporty it'll be great man the rubber mounted carbureted bikes and with the carburetor i could teach my daughter how to adjust a carb you know, yeah how to operate a choke yeah let like, to ah, get this bike what are you I'm like no nah, this is gonna be fine man that bike's only four thousand dollars great that's plenty let's get this bike this is my bike right here so i bought that old harley and fixed it up anyways so after the accident i fixed it back up with coco and we auctioned it off for charity uh. and um we did real well for um it was for the home for good or a charity that we're one of the primary financial sponsors of and, we we saved so many dogs and cats lives with that with the auctioning of that bike. It went to a much better spot than sitting in my garage. Yeah. Okay, so now toys, real toys, right? So growing up when I was a kid, I played. I didn't it was not. I didn't grow up with much money, but you know you play with the toy cars, and I loved my toy cars, man. And one day somebody, some aunt or someone, gave me a toy Magnum Pi Ferrari, and I, added it, I think it was thought be the coolest thing to add in my collection of toy cars. I couldn't play with it. Yeah. Because I couldn't imagine myself driving it. Right? Wow. I could, never thought I'd get to a space where I could afford a fucking Ferrari. But I remember that car. I just felt so uncomfortable even playing with it. So years later, God, I got the money under the belt, the whole thing. So you're living the dream. You go and you buy yourself that Ferrari, the unimaginable dream, right? Yeah. And I got the Ferrari. Okay, cool. And I get in and I'm driving and I can't mind... I can't forget thinking to myself, this would have been so fucking cool when I was 17. <laughs> Fuck! Now it's this... Okay, it's cool. And I'm avoiding cops and I'm fucking... It was not as much fun at all. It was beautiful. It was amazing, but I held on to the dream for a number of years, and then um, when COVID hit, yeah, I, t- I uh, took the Ferrari out for a quick drive, and I felt like a douchebag. I'm just being honest. I yeah. felt like a fucking douche canoe. I was like, I got friends out there that are losing their jobs, that are fucking uh, really in trouble, and I'm out here driving a fucking Ferrari. Like, no, no, nah. So I um, sent it up to uh, the dealership and said, guys, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to drive this. I don't feel, it's not making me happy. Yeah. I don't know what to do with it. They're like, hold on, wait, 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 just sit on it for six months. There's going to be a shortage for Ferrari. Like, all right, fine, whatever you want. They sat on it for six months and they called me up one day and said, we got you back what you paid for it. Wow. Like, wow. All these years later, great. Awesome. Yeah. So that, was, that was the end of the toy and the end of the dream. It just wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore. You know what I have fun in? Huh. I have fun in my fucking Prius yeah did you see what i did to my prius we, we nope. wrapped it made it all fucking color changing yeah i did i did rims on it i have, my priuses are great because i get them i don't give a fuck you know how yeah. I, mean? oh, I park next to somebody scratch my car okay that sucks but it isn't like oh my god you scratched my car no my prius is fucking badass and now because my daughter took my badass fucking prius sorry she's, <laughs> a, she's delicious coco it's okay i love you you can have my prius it's okay but because she took my prius yeah i got a tesla which the coolest thing about the tesla is um the technology and it isn't bad technology's is cool, can the tech, but no. Especially if you're tired yes and you're driving. It has an autopilot thing that keeps me in the lane. and makes me feel better and safer, and I don't get all paranoid when I'm driving. And that made me so happy. It actually yeah. made me happier. You see what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, I like this. This is happy, and I can leave it cold with my dog inside. That makes me happy, fucking too. I go down to the park with her. It's 125 here in Phoenix in the summer. She can play for a little bit. She gets too hot. Back in the air conditioned car that's already cold, waiting for her. That made me happy. So that kind of shit. Like, that's how. I'm, that's how I try to judge toys now. Is, is this actually going to make me happier? Yeah. Am I trying to? If I'm showing off to people, that's no cool. That's not cool for me. It's not going to make me happy. Because if I'm showing off, that means I'm making someone else unhappy in a way, right? Yeah. Or making them long. It's not, um, that's not cool. But if it's something where I'm actually getting enjoyment out of it, then I want that toy, man.
1: So, awesome. would, so would you say you're a tech guy?
0: You like tech? I love tech. Okay.
1: All right, good. <laughs> yeah, well, cannabis I, and tech today. As it, <laughs>
0: it, as it makes things for us better. Yeah. But I also am, uh, I watch very carefully, just like with our products. I'm looking for evolution, not devolution.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I hate it when I witnessed devolution. I'll give you an example. That microphone I was talking about earlier for that phone right there. Yeah. um, The older generation of it, simple cordless mic. You don't even call it the company. Comica, Comica. The company, they make this great cordless mic. They made this great cordless mic. It was great. I bought three of them. I bought it. Cool. They come with the new version. The new version was not as good, right? Mm. It was smaller, used different channels, but it was truly not as good to the point where I was like, is this just me or is everyone hearing his? We're all hearing his? Okay. Let's switch out the mic. Nope, still hearing his. Yeah, Back to the old one. Next, uh, two years later, they come up with another new one. Again, not as good as the original. And you're like, okay, who's running this company? Like, are you guys using your own products? Who's fucking this up? How can you not notice that your old ones are so much better than your new ones, you know? And it isn't like you're charging less. So what's going on here? I, I, I run into this often with products. I judge products very harshly. So, like, Bucky's eye mask. Right, coming to travel. I'm traveling all the time. We're going to Bauer, uh, Ethiopia, you know, Bali. Everywhere you go, yeah. I gotta go there. So they make these eye masks where the where it comes together, the little Velcro spot the back of your head uh-huh. is right at the back of your head. Ugh. So now you're gonna lay down in bed with a big thump thing on the back of your head. It doesn't make sense. I'm thinking like, who who made this? Like and I go through all their eye masks and every single one of them at the time it was just designed wrong. So there was a big yeah. bump, a big like knot right at the back of your head. And I was thinking to myself, what kind of like, I don't, I'm trying to say anything negative, but like, wow. Yeah. That CEO, whoever runs that company, you yeah. failed, bro. Yeah. You failed your people, you failed your company, and you failed the world. You had one job, dude. You're making an eye mask. You couldn't realize that people were going <laughs> to put this thing. Did you wear it once? <laughs> Did you try to sleep in it, bro? Or are you one of those guys who's just trying to make money, and for you, it's crap in a box. You don't care what it is, yeah. or you're not even using it. I run into that a lot in this industry. Yeah. I don't care about anything. I'm I just trying to make money. And you're like, ooh, bro, that's not what, why are you trying what does that money actually mean? Why are you being paid money? You're being paid money to do a job, dude. Yeah. Think, oh, you're your own boss. You ain't your own boss, you're working for people. I work for people all day, every day. What do they actually want? They want a better fucking rolling paper. If I fuck it up, if I make something that sucks, then I failed them. Yeah. And I should be fired. Their way of firing me is buy some other brand. Yeah. <sighs> the way I feel like people don't look back enough at what things really mean, right? Mm-hmm. So you're being, uh, what is our financial system? It's really supposed to be you're being paid to do something and do it better than it's been done before, right? If you make a better uh, podcast, a better article than has been done before, then you should be rewarded with these little p- made-up slips of crap called money. And then you can take that money and do something you want with it. Hopefully something good. Hopefully yeah. something that makes you happy. Buy yourself some food. organize your house. Whatever the hell you want. And you deserve it because you did a really good job. That's how the system, our system is essentially supposed to be based. Yeah. If I do a great job make you a better paper than has been made before, then I technically deserve your little slips of paper and I use them to make even better paper and make even better stuff and we yeah. all fucking win together and it's beautiful. Yeah. And if I fuck up my job, if I make you a rolling machine that snaps in half, if I make, you know, some kind of, if I make cones that are made with a paper that is not strong enough to actually be used as a cone and you get a lot of puncture holes, I'm calling someone out here, um, <laughs> then I don't deserve your money, man. In fact, I deserve the opposite of that. I shouldn't be around. Yeah, you know, cause I'm, I didn't make it better for you. In fact, I made it worse. Yeah. So our system is our system works if we allow it to. So it's, like That's whole, good.
1: It's, a, it's great. No, I mean, you're, you're undeniably an influencer, right? In the cannabis space. And this is your, you know, this is your mantra. This is, this is what you truly believe in. How do you feel that the cannabis industry views you as an, as an influencer?
0: Huh? Huh? huh. <laughs> well, I think they all think I'm crazy. <laughs> Which I, I am. I think we all are. Man, you have to be to be me. Mm-hmm. But you have to, I think every human being is individual, right? Every human being yeah. has more synapses in their brain than there are stars in the fucking universe. And that is a true statement, right? Mm-hmm. So we are all individual people, right? When you meet someone, like in my mind, half the time I'm saying to myself, it's very nice to meet you, human, because it's like you, you, you look at them as a human, you know? Not as, So it's... I'm um, Sorry, this is just showing you how crazy <laughs> I am. I think they that the industry appreciates how far I've brought it and how passionate I am about what I do. And I think they look up to me in that regard as to being like, wow, that guy really, he really brought it, man. Mm-hmm. That, that dude really, he really freaking brought it. And the reason why I can talk so quick and strong about products, my products, is because I love them and I mm-hmm. enjoy making them and we have a real, we invent them together, me and the team, you know? So you really care about it, and you really like it, and you get excited about it. And I think they look at me as someone who... Um, who really brought my part of the industry to the highest level it's ever been.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And are there people that you look to, like, uh, you know, for trends or, you know, that maybe influence you in in certain ways? And it doesn't have to be in the cannabis industry.
0: It's rare. I I wish I had more people to look up to. I have some, but I do wish there was more. I mostly look back in history. You know what I mean? I'll read read stories from Marcus Aurelius and people like that. It's um in current like some of the people I've looked up to have let me down so badly that it uh that I try not to look at current people so much in that regard. I, I like the people who I look up to the most are people who hold stick by their guns, mm. the ones who stay authentic. Like um, we're talking about some of these craft uh, farmers, mm-hmm. those guys I, I I love them because they're they made a choice to make better product over profits real not the kind of thing that i see these giant guys claiming that they like, use that as a statement yeah and then you'll they'll get busted with um using environmental protection agency breaking their laws because they're not it isn't real for them yeah that was just something they're saying i'm talking about people who truly fucking live it and you can tell when you meet them and I, those are the people i wish I they don't around. cut corners no they're not going to that mm-hmm. would be like it would be like hurting their child yeah but no the answer is no it's um like dr Dr. Raunters, those guys. It's it's people who really stick by it, man. Those are the ones I love, and those, I wish I had more of them in my life. And if you are one of them, please come hang out with me. I need more people like you in my life, and we'll find a way to work together. But I need people like that. And I I just, the ones who truly love what they do and will not, not sacrifice, they really won't. Those are the guys I really love.
1: Yeah, nobody's gonna say that you don't love what you do. Um, How about how about let's talk pre rolls? Like they are popular right now. I think I just saw something that pre rolls are super super popular. You've got uh, uh, CBD, you've got uh, uh, Delta Eight. You know, you've got. I mean, can you just kind of speak to how uh, the explosion of pre rolls has affected kind of how Raw operates?
0: Okay, so it has affected us a lot um, in terms of our cone business. We Mm -hmm. We have to make so many cones for them, and we can never make enough. We're expanding like crazy, and, and we'll be caught up with them soon. Are they made in Alcoi? The paper comes from Alcoy, Spain, okay. and it's sent to Indonesia for the most part, okay. where it's rolled into cones. Got it. Um, it's a process. It really is. And there's lots of testing involved, a lot of production, but in the end, I believe that our cones are the best that there are. I've seen lots of people try to find ways to make them cheaper and easier, like spiral wrapping, which makes them, in my experience, burn terrible. Not terrible, just not as good as a, yeah. as a normal cone. And... I've I've experienced so much of corner cutting yeah. that we refuse to do. So our experience has been simply these guys are eating me alive out of out of code. Yeah. Wow! But in, in addition, one thing that drives me crazy with pre rolls is that the overwhelming majority are not filled properly.
1: Yes, and
0: it just drives me nuts.
1: It's an uneven experience. I've yeah. been to LA, you know, and bought some pre rolls. We thought it'd be really cool. Me and the friends going, and we'd light it up, and you, you can't, you can't even draw from it, you yeah. know. Or then you light one up, and it just completely runs and burns. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like it's yeah. a, it's a, it's a shitty, uneven experience. You don't know what you're going to get. You don't know
0: what you're going to get. You don't know what's actually inside. You have to, there's a lot of trust involved, and most, and yeah, a lot of times that trust is, is not placed. And well. you can't
1: take it back, right? Yeah, this just one done. sucks. Yeah, I know. yeah, they um.
0: I think a lot of people, a lot of people making pre-rolls don't truly understand where the cone comes from and understand how to fill the cone. They don't have enough experience. Yeah. So they're just trying to fill, you know, they, they see a, a, cylind- a cylinder, mm-hmm. and the mindset is how can we fill this Not without thought process of how can I make it burn better?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah. What's, what's the best way to fill this? How can I make an actual burn closer to what people, people get when they fill it correctly themselves? And I just, I've seen a lot of crap. And it's sad especially when they use my cones it's not filled right so I, I've, th- about it. I've tried to help yeah i've tried to help i put out videos teaching people if you buy a pre-roll uh-huh. even though it's, it's a pre-roll i teach them how to how to properly tap it and kind of re give it a cone yeah i'm going to try to get before you smoke it yeah because if if you fill a cone yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a cone massage. It, before you smoke it, if you it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. a massage, it's, it's a cone massage. It's a real thing, man. I'm sorry, guys. This is, this is the way it is. If you want to get to that level, if you want to yeah. the highest level in the world, yeah. you've got to be a little bit crazy and you got to yeah. give your cones massages yeah. and tap them. So let's say just uh, think about it from your own perspective, right? You fill a cone right now. You and I sit here and we fill. Let's say we fill enough for a little bit. We fill enough for a couple hours. We fill mm-hmm. six. <laughs> yeah. Right, and then we bring them home with us they bounced around in the car they bounced around in your pocket you stuck them in your bag they went sideways some of them went upside down they bounced around a good amount now you finally get that thing home drop your bag down to the counter take it out and now you go to smoke it well now the material inside that cone has been shifted around Mm. it's moved man convection has occurred in maybe not the direction you wanted it to Yeah. the granular convection has definitely occurred things have moved around and um, it might likely that that's going to affect the burn so I feel like there's a lot more knowledge that has to be taught about. You bought that pre roll pack, that's great. Now you don't have to fill it. You still got to work with it a little bit to settle it. To yeah. Get back towards where it should be before you smoke it. Yeah. So I think there's some education that has to be done in addition to filling them better.
1: Yeah. Does raw white label cones? White label. Like mean for, yeah. make for other people? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: We do. We make cones for other people. We, we, we give them a choice. They can either have our logo on it with theirs. Uh huh. Or if they just want their logo on it, we'll do that for them too.
1: Okay. We just want to make them happy. Mm hmm. Um, Have there been any big advancements in rolling papers, you know, lately?
0: There have been. Um, Well, not—okay, depends upon what you mean by big. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or just advancements. Yeah, there have been some really—I love making—like, I've made some incredible things to make it easier to fill a cone. We've made it better, like some fun little things just to make them burn better or put them out better. Yeah. Um, I reinvented the the 90s snuffer. It was something that was very popular in the 90s. Uh-huh. You'd drop it in your ashtray and you would put your cigarette in there to extinguish it. It was eventually made for for like a standard, like Marlboro type cigar. Yeah. We recreated that for cones so you can put it out and relight it correctly. I even brought back a modified cigar cutter, yeah. which is the cone cutter, to cut the end of it so you can get a better smoke when you light. In terms of actual paper, uh. yeah, in terms of actual paper, uh. We've, um, we've been doing a lot of experimenting. and In the past couple of years, we've launched two new papers, which is the raw black. The raw black is a, is a slightly thinner version of raw classic with, um, with a similar porosity. Porosity is a measure of how much, basically, the easiest way to think about it is how much air can pass through a paper. Mm. No different than the mask that we're all wearing right now. The more breathable a paper is, the faster it's gonna burn. That's essentially the way you think about it. Mm. And it's cheaper to make a more breathable paper it's more expensive to make one that's less breathable. And people don't, uh, manufacturers are often looking to cut costs so they will make a more breathable paper, which is essentially what we call in our industry, fast burning or free burning. And then they market it and it breaks my heart because that fast burning paper can cost you as much as 15% easily of your material compared to a good slow burning paper. And you don't know that. Now let's talk talk about, here's the trick. You ready? This is a trick that comes from big tobacco. If I sell you a pre-roll in a fast-burning paper, and it burns, let's say, 15 to 30% faster, um, it's, it's um, basically more, imagine this, more of the smoke, it doesn't go out. Yeah. Fast. So more of the smoke is just going off into the air. And every time you're pulling, you're pulling more air through the paper and less from your big cherry at the end. Oh. So you're getting weaker hits. Yeah. And then they'll tell you things like, it tastes better. Look how much smoother that tastes. Because, yeah, it tastes lighter. Yeah. Because your smoke's going off into the air. Not into your fucking lungs! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? You're getting ripped off and you don't even bye know bye. it. Bye-bye. Right? Yeah. You don't even know it. Yeah. However, if you were in the industry and you were just trying to maximize your profits, do you see how this could be used as a tool to make you more money? Yeah. Now the per- that same consumer, to get the same amount of um, active ingredients,
1: Yeah.
0: has to buy 20% more from you just to get the same experience if he would have just used a slow-burning paper.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's a great way to maximize profits. Um, big tobacco uses with the light cigarette trick. Yeah. Where people, they, yeah, it's a lighter cigarette. It has less tar, less nicotine, technically. It's pulling more air through, which is how that, most of how that's done. Not entirely. Uh, that's most of how that's done. Yeah. And Or largely how it's done. Be careful, they're going to want to sue me. Um, that's how, partially how it's done. Don't sue me yet. It's um, always wrong, by the way. I'm always wrong. I'm wrong right now. And, um... It caused you. In the end, you were going to get that same amount of nicotine. You were going to get. You needed that exact same dose you had yeah. before. So you're going to smoke more sticks yeah. in order to get to that same dosage you had before. Therefore, you're buying more sticks from me, mm-hmm. and I'm making more money, mm-hmm. and I'm ripping you off, and you don't even realize it. And <sighs> you're thinking how much oh, healthier you are. Yeah. So fast-burning rolling papers, free-burning rolling papers, are something that I despise. Now if people want them. I'll make them for them because in the end, I work for people. But I see in the industry. Um, People marketing fast-burning papers, yeah, heavily lately, and it breaks my heart. That's
1: that's so strange. And and you were talking about waste. I I, one of the things is you know it doesn't take a whole lot when I'm smoking for me to feel just exactly how I want Mm -hmm. to. So if I've got a big you know a big joint or a big pre-roll or something like that halfway through, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with it, right? So you know either just put it out or a little bit of water or something. Then I know that like I'm wasting something. First time I got. Those little shorties, right? Yeah. I was like, this is freaking brilliant. Is you know, done. these yeah. little, what do they call them, dog walkers, dog walkers. you know? Uh, I mean, have those been around forever? Or did I felt like I just discovered them? Have they been here this whole time? They've and- been here
0: this whole time. But, but we we recently launched dog walker cones, essentially, uh-huh. ones that are uh, very much smaller. Once COVID hit, we realized we had to make ones because people aren't going to share as much. Yeah. So we immediately put out a whole line of much smaller uh, cones. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Uh, and here's the cool thing about them. I am a huge advocate Yeah. For smaller cones, by the way. Yeah. Huge. Because one thing is, I don't know when we're really going to be passing again. But two, you get a fresher experience. There is, Mm -hmm. the way way it works is you're going to have less resonation. Mm -hmm. Because you have less resonation, and you have to light another one, and then light another one, each time you're getting a fresher hit. I think that's why, overall, one and a quarter is a much more popular paper than king size. Because people just naturally recognize that the smaller one gives them a better experience. You know? Yeah. King size is cool. I love king size. i got friends around, man. Yeah.
1: But, uh, but, but It's the never small. the same experience when you go and get one of those half-smoke joints and then you yeah. refire that thing up. It's just not the same. It's like leftovers.
0: It is like leftovers. I made it better. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I made yeah. a cutter to, to cut off the end of it. Yeah. So you can get it a little closer, at least.
1: Yeah, but,
0: but still, it's never as good as having just a fresh one to start off with that has, has experienced no resonation. You have to just understand recognize that, yeah. you know, scientifically, the unburnt material in your cone... The smoke from your ember, your burning part, yeah. is going to pass through that unburnt material, and that material acts as a filter, and it picks up things as it goes through. Yeah. And that's what resonation really is, essentially. I yeah. say filter doesn't make it any healthier, don't sue me again, but it just, it's going to filter, it's going to pick up some stuff. And, yeah. and therefore, as it burns down, your smoke gets stronger and stronger, which is the which is cone theory. Cone theory is, this is why, it's, I, listen, as, as we go through this, Uh, When I say us, I mean we humans, as we go through um, this whole process of full, of changing and everyone's going to be smoking more and all this kind of stuff, there's going to be a tendency for larger companies to try to push us us back into straight smokes. Yeah. It's so much cheaper Mm -hmm. to produce a straight smoke than it is to make a conical one. So much fucking cheaper. Yeah. It's not even, it's going to be like four times the cost in the end, maybe more to make a cone compared to a straight one once these big massive machines come online. Maybe 10 times more. But the straight ones just don't burn the same. Mm -hmm. Because here's how, here's cone theory. Cone theory is at the top of your cone, it's widest, right? So that's where you light your material, it starts burning there. That would be flavor of what say we call it 100, right? As it burns down, it's gonna get stronger and stronger and stronger just through resonation. And And so the theory is if you're burning less material as it's burning down, but that material is getting stronger in flavor, you can make it where you are essentially trying to give, the goal is, yeah a similar experience to the top, where you're smoking a lot of material, to the oh. middle, where you're smoking half as much, to the end, where you're smoking barely any material. Oh. As that's getting stronger, you're burning less.
1: It's like tiered.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So cone theory is to try to give you a better experience throughout the smoke. Yeah. So cones, to me, yeah. the hell do I know, are the absolute best way to smoke there is. If you see me roll, I only roll cones. Yeah. And straight ones are great. I mean they're cool, but they're just they do not give you the cone experience.
1: Yeah. You you said on the no it was the no jumper podcast the, and I and this really stood out to me cuz I listened to that, you know, before we got a chance to talk here that you understand rolling paper better than anyone alive. And I heard you say that and it stood out to me. It reminded me of a song I remember Little Wayne said, and next time you mention Pac Biggie and Jay Z, Don't Forget Me, Little Wheezy Baby. <laughs> yeah. Like he threw himself into the conversation with the yeah. greatest. And when you said that, I don't think it's hyperbole. I think you truly do have a understanding uh that is maybe on a whole different level of mastery. Does that bleed over into other areas of your life? You know, kind of that penchant for mastery that you that you you have displayed here
0: it, um i try to hold it back honestly because i want to go into things at such a level that uh-huh. um it drives people crazy
1: yeah you
0: know what i mean like simple things like when we're making grinders i want to go into it and i i want to start tearing things up and making the best grinders I've ever made in the history of humanity yeah but as we get through this and as we're working on it for three years my guys start to get really angry at me being like josh this grinder already is better than anything i've tried Can you please just put it out? Mm. So, okay, fine. We'll make a thousand of them. I put out a thousand of them. And then the market starts screaming at me. Why did you only make a thousand of them? I got one. I loved it. And my friends want one. Can you make me one too? What the fuck, dude? (laughs) I'm like, well, I want to make it better. Hold on. Wait, uh, I'm still learning. Don't Wait, wait, wait. wait, I'm not ready. And they start pushing on me. So then I've learned I have to to let go of it to some extent. It can get me into trouble. And where you're never really putting it out, I'm like, okay, okay, I guess. in the end, my job is not to make, not to do that, but my job is to make people happy and I'm already making them happy, and they want—they're asking me to make more of it. But I really want to go back into it and make it even better. Okay, let it go, 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 let it go. It's really good, John. Let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. But when it comes to paper, I can't let it go. Yeah. I can't let it go when it comes to paper. It's so actually, I shouldn't say that. It's just so freaking hard, man. Mm-hmm. I just want to make. Are
1: you a perfectionist? Yes, very, very, very much so. Yeah. I'm, proud perfectionist every
0: time I make something <laughs> yeah. I, it comes in and all of our products you see, if you look over on the wall over there I know they can't see it but you see those bins mm-hmm. those bins are products for me to QC I want to go through every product whenever I can whenever possible Wow. Um, to it came in I want to see it too it goes through a normal QC process but I want to touch it I want to put it, in it. I want to see if it's right I can notice things that other people can't notice. I can notice that that, that paper packaging doesn't feel quite right. Yeah. It's more of a little, it looks like more scratches than usual. Or just something, some little tiny nuance. Oh my God, it's not folded the way I want it to be folded. It's just, I can notice things that other people just can't notice. Yeah. And I want to really make it better. I need to smoke it. I need to look at that watermark myself. I get it, the say, Josh, this is perfect. Yeah, it is perfect, but uh,
1: Yeah. I don't
0: know, man. When's the last time you changed a watermarking wheel? When was that changed? That, how old is it now? Have you checked it? Have you miked it? You know, yeah, there's always a way. You know, it, it's um, it's you, know, you, you try to let go. I should say or I let go. I try to let go. Yeah, I really try to let go. I just, I just really want to bring it.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know what yeah. I mean? You go hard in the paint. Really, really hard. Yeah. And
0: like the latest papers we made, like the raw, the raw black organic hemp. All right, and this is a paper that I was very reluctant to launch because. It's an extremely difficult paper to roll, in so much as it's so natural
1: mm-hmm. that
0: if you get it wet at all, forget it. Mm. Just forget. It. If you over-lick it past the gum line into mm-hmm. the paper, your tongue could puncture right through the paper because essentially it's so close to just being hemp in its natural state that yeah. was mashed up. It's so close to that that once you wet it, it just wants to go back to mash.
1: <laughs> you know?
0: You got to think about it as. Imagine if you just had if you just took hemp, yeah, cooked it, mashed it up, spread out the fibers, yeah, and laid it into a sheet and smoked it. That's what I'm that's my goal is to get it as close to just that your home as I can realistically get it. Yeah. And I'm trying to do it for you by making it making it thinner than it's ever been made and and trying to get it with the low porosity so that it burns nice and slow. If I don't add certain chemicals, then it's going to be more affected by water than maybe it should be, or if I had added those chemicals. But I don't want to add those chemicals. I'd rather give you the natural experience and be like, well, fuck you, dude, don't lick it too much. I'm I'm bringing you natural here, man, you know? You know, if you want something that you can lick and lick right through, there's plenty of papers on the shelf you can buy for 99 cents a pack, Yeah. you can lick with your whole tongue, and it'll be fine. This is not one of them. This is made for the highest of highest of highest level of yeah. smoker who's going to be careful and roll it carefully, and, he's, and when he smokes it, he's going to notice the nuances of, that, of, of how his palate is affected by not having that chemical in there, and it's, he's going to enjoy it, and he's going to be like, wow, this is that incredible experience I was going for. I'm definitely not going to be the cheapest dude on the shelf.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah.
0: But I but it's that's not what I'm going for, man. I'm not trying to make the most. I'm trying to make the best.
1: The best. Yeah, you I mean, you're a perfectionist. You are an enigm- enigmatic uh lovable entrepreneur and you also are really big into giving. Yeah. Like you this is a part of your story that I think maybe some people don't know that I'd like to talk a little bit more about. Can sure. you talk about raw giving?
0: Yeah, no problem. Um, no problem. <laughs> okay. no, yes, I can. It's the problem for me with raw giving. We start just from my own shame. Yeah, is that I don't believe I give back anywhere near enough. Right. So, for my own shame, I tell you, I really think I should be giving back more, much more. In fact, you know, uh, yeah, this, this is something I want to do, and I don't want to remind you something I want to get to. Um, it's, you know, it used to be. Let me tell you how where it comes from for me. Yeah, right? it's a real simple way, and it's a beautiful little story. Not much of a story, but I'll tell it anyway. Right, so um, I'm young. I'm I'm at a somewhere. My grandma sent me somewhere, some kind of camp of something. And on comes, and I'm really really young. On comes Live Aid. Right, big, some people don't know what that is. Yeah. At the time, it was the greatest musical uh, concert series uh, to fundraise for mass starvation that was happening in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that everyone had gotten together like that, it was samulcast around the world, and more than it, was, it's, it impacted, from my understanding, more than one billion people got to see this thing one way or another yes. through Live Aid. And so much money was raised, and it saved so many lives, and it was such an impact. And I'm sitting here watching this, watching the world come together. As one, through the power of music, in a positive way, to try to help people that they've never even met or seen uh, like thousands and thousands of miles away. And I was so impacted by that, like, wow. You know, I mean you see people, humans care about each other, this is the world I want to live in, man. I want to live in a world like that. Yeah. That was fucking great. And I'm watching Brian Adams up there on stage playing Summer of 69. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, and he changed the lyrics to Summer of 85. That's like it tells you what year it was. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, you know, just so impacted. I'm so infected that I, that changed my life, and so I'm always trying to recreate that Live Aid experience, you yeah. know. So I end up and I'm, I, I end up idolizing Bob Gildorf. If you're asking people, Bob Gildorf, and watching what he did, and so it became a it became a thing of I just I just want to give back, and I, I did that through even when I was younger. I was always trying to find ways to do it, and once you start getting um, blessed mm-hmm. with tremendous success, well, with that success comes great responsibility. I believe that whenever you receive a huge reward, like a tremendous success, you then have to stop and listen. The universe is talking to you all the time. You just don't hear it and many people are are deaf to it. Mm -hmm. But I would just be I would just try to open myself up to see, okay, what what is wanted? What do what am I supposed to do? Because I know when you receive, you're supposed to give. What am I supposed to give? Mm-hmm. And one way or another, the universe would guide me on these incredible journeys, where I would end up through just sheer happenstance, you know, in the in what I call the gates of hell, which was at Sisters uh, going through the gates of Sister Mother Teresa's uh, hospital for the destitute and dying in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And you go through that experience, and you're you're witnessing people dying in front of you, and you're experiencing something that you never thought you would actually experience at a point where you have to go into what's called warrior mode. Warrior mode is you have to turn off all your emotion and just function. Yeah. Where your job today is to take these people off the gurney. take this dead these dead people, the mm-hmm. person who's passed away, deceased, from onto this gurney. Other people are gonna take the gurney away. Your job is to take them off the bed, the next person comes and you put them on that same bed without changing the sheets. So that they can die on that same bed. This is is what you're doing for the next few hours, Josh. Do it. Don't think a thing. Don't say a fucking word. Because if you think one word, you're gone, man. You're gone. And you're doing things like that. Uh, These are experiences, obviously. Um, And suddenly you realize maybe there's a way you could help. and Maybe there's a way you can make this better. And that sort of mentality, that experience there led me into getting them, learning that they had a water problem that they couldn't wash the sheets. They didn't have mm-hmm. enough, they didn't have water to wash the sheets. They didn't have water to wash the patients. They just had enough water to, to drink. drink. No more realistically. Wow. So we did a water project with them, the same water project that the United Nations said they would do, that the Unicor said they would do, and all these fucking relief agencies said they would do, but they wouldn't do it because of some Whatever you can make up a thousand excuses yeah. why they didn't do it oh they would say oh because of religious faith, we can't help you oh it would turn out this oh it would turn out that it turned out they had a real problem that needed to be solved with some tech and mm-hmm. ingenuity mm-hmm. and we were able to pull it off it didn't even cost that much it cost like a hundred grand that's mm-hmm. not much based mm-hmm. on that, that project probably saved 10,000 human beings right uh-huh. I believe it did Yeah. I, I really strongly believe it did and the impact I got to witness that that project had was tremendous and we maintain it so it's not just a thing where you do it and walk away it's still going yeah and I hope it'll go forever. It's, you know, I'll explain it to you. I was in a village in Ethiopia once um, and people were asking us why we'd help them and they couldn't understand why why we'd help them. And I told them something just spontaneously that I think explains a lot of it to this day. I explained to them through a translator, it's like, you know, let's say you had had an incredibly bountiful harvest Mm -hmm. and you had raised more grain than you could possibly eat, so much so that it would go bad if you kept it. You would probably take that excess grain you give it away to other communities, right? hmm And they said, yes, of course. And I said, well, I got more grain than I need, man. So I'm sharing it with you. And they were just like, oh. They got it. Everything was fine after that point. After that yeah. point, they were very suspect, couldn't understand it. What yeah. are you doing? As soon as they, that connected, it was just like, oh, this is the way we humans are supposed to be with each other, right? Yeah. We were supposed to do this, <laughs> always. Yeah. At least that's what I believe. And watching the old rockers do it, man, mm-hmm. that really brought me back. And so when I started really giving back, the universe spoke to me. I'll tell you what it did. Through a friend of mine whose name is, oh, actually Don Bull. It's funny. I ended up reconnecting with Brian Adams a years later. He lived in Vancouver, Canada. And I went and had to sit down with Brian Adams to ask him, "Oh, Brian, I know you give back. You've got all this your own your own giving back way. You've got the Ryan Adams Foundation and all this stuff. What should I do essentially?" And we sat down and talked and. Brian talked to me, and he said, "Um, Josh, you're not going to believe this, but I have a website I was going to use called Raw Foundation. Yeah. We should create a raw foundation. He didn't mean like a thing to, a foundation of giving, a foundation of giving back, a foundation of helping people, a foundation of a new way of living. That's what we should do. And that led me down a really cool journey where... We don't call it Ralph. Now it's raw giving because it's not a 501c3. We don't take money from anyone. That's part of this, by the way. Here was the plan. The plan was to continue to give back even stronger than ever before, not take money from anybody to Mm -hmm. the extent possible, and just try to inspire and uplift people
1: Mm. through
0: sharing with them the feeling of giving. Because when you give back you get this incredibly awful, warm exp- feeling in you. Yeah. It's programmed into our human DNA. Everybody gets it.
1: Yeah,
0: You just have to trigger it. It's addictive because it feels so good when you help yeah. people. And you see it and you know you really did it and you know you really had an impact. It feels really good, man. You know what I mean? So you want to share that experience with people. So the way that we figured out we would do it, the plan was essentially to give back in an, what I, what I believe is an incorruptible way where it's like, Hey, man, you come on to rawgiving.com and you want to buy a skateboard or a snowboard or whatever the hell we got on there, 100% of what you spend Mm -hmm. goes directly to the charity. We don't even take off cost of goods or anything like that, blah, blah, shipping, blah, blah, blah. Nope. You just make a donation to Wine to Water, one of our really close friends, for, let's say, 100 bucks, and then you get this thing. I send it to you for free, man. I even sign it if you want me to. Here it is. And why are we doing this? I'm not gaining anything from this, except i'm doing the right thing i'm teaching i'm not teaching i'm helping you get that feeling of you just gave 100 bucks to wine to water you know what that just did man you just saved a human life 100 dollars is about the cost you just saved a human being dude just like you same dna same everything as you you just saved a life here's a tray man thank you wow. thank you for saving a life does that feel good do you understand what impact you just had yeah so you're trying to create a movement a philosophy something that feels so good to them that they they get addicted to it the way that I am and that they give back to. What Brian said to me was, Josh, imagine a rock rock rolling down a mountain. You start off, you get a good size rock and you start rolling it down a mountain, right? And Mm -hmm. it's rolling and it'll pick up speed. And by the time it gets down to the bottom, it'll do some damage, man. That's cool, right? Yeah. That's kind of what you're doing right now. Now imagine this. Let's say you take that same rock and you roll it down towards a giant pile of other rocks, yeah. and it hits all of them, and they start rolling too. Well, now you got a fucking landslide. Man. Yeah. Now you got a movement. Now you're making real social change. So that's what raw giving is really about. And I'm sorry for being so long on this. I beg you to edit this, because I will keep you here till the <laughs> yeah. night falls yeah. and the sun will rise, and I'll still be talking to you about this. And I, but, and I would love to if you left the whole thing yeah. but I want people to actually hear the messages I want them to understand and it isn't about me it isn't about you it's about the person listening to this yeah. can I impact them can I, can I get them to understand that feeling and do more of it if I did, then again I did a wonderful fucking thing and I can get my statue in Alcoy which is a whole other story yeah. I'm trying to get the statue and I, the greatest have statues yeah. um, I'm hoping that it'll be, I'll be the first non-Alcoy <laughs> I'm a you know I'm an honorary Alcoyano, but I'm not an Alcoyano. I would be the first non-Alcoyano to ever have a statue, so maybe I'll get lucky and I'll somehow pull it off and I'll get it. This is what
1: until wait till I'm dead. Yeah, but still, <laughs> I want my you're statue, statue <laughs> while you're alive. Oh, I want to know because <laughs> that, that means I'm one of the rolling paper. I'm truly one of the think, rolling paper greats. I think that's just. I think it's so cool. I mean, it, it. I think I heard a quote once. It's like, what you give, you keep forever, and what you keep was never yours to begin with.
0: That's beautiful.
1: And it just, it kind of feels like that sort of, you know, summarizes what, yeah, what, what you're talking the about. The one that know? I, and
0: I've said this before, my, one of my famous Marcus Aurelius quotes is, um, the only wealth you ever keep is the wealth you give away. Yeah. And that's completely true because, especially with the life I've lived, where I've had feds come at me and try to confiscate all my shit in the past and all that kind of stuff, it's, um, you recognize like, ain't no federal agent gonna go confiscate Mother Teresa's Wells. I think we've done, Seven of the all seven of the hospitals now—they're uh, not going to go back to Ethiopia and try to confiscate a fucking well. Yeah, you know I mean it's gone, it's done. I gave it away; it's theirs now, and it's done. I could be living underneath a bridge, and I could always know that I pulled that off. Yeah, someone will try to change it and say, "Oh, he did it because of." There's no because of. I did it because of love. So no matter, you can say whatever you want. I know why I did it. Yeah, I did it because of love, man. If you go there, I always try to say, man, if I took Donald Trump there, sorry to people political. if you took him there, it would break his heart. He would cry too. It's. Um, it's just, you get so moved by seeing the people, yeah. feeling the pain they're going through, yeah. and seeing how you can actually have an impact. You're sitting there, you got money in your wallet, mm-hmm. and there's people dying around you, and you realize that money in your wallet could save some of them. Oh,
1: yeah. You're like, oh
0: shit, man, right. fuck, take whatever I got, man, we gotta get this. It's, it's a feeling, and that is why I am, like you can't, no one can judge me harsher than I can judge myself, mm-hmm. that I don't give away squat compared to what I should give away. We've given away a couple million bucks, so what? I yeah. can give away more than that. I still have some nice stuff. I got a nice watch on my wrist right now, right? Pretty nice watch. Yeah, I could sell that yeah. wrist and this what this <laughs> that wrist. I could sell this watch. This watch could probably save you know a, yeah. a lot of lives. Yeah. And yet I still have it on my wrist, don't I? So that's why I'm a piece of shit, and I always will be, until the day I really give it up. Yeah. And sell that watch for them. Give them really give. Because the sisters that are there, yeah. they take a vow of poverty. They really give it up. Ain't no rings on their fingers. Mm-hmm. Ain't no watch on their wrist. Yeah. it's It's gone. Yeah. So unless I achieve that kind of level that they're at, then I'll always be just a fucking piece of shit. something you stepped on with your shoe and you swiped You scraped off.
1: Well... I, I, I don't think you're a piece of shit. Um, it, this, this has been a great journey. This whole conversation, I think, is going to really inspire and inform a lot of people. And that was what my goal was. I got two more questions for you. Sure. Okay. Where do you see the cannabis industry in five years?
0: I believe we will have some form of federal legalization that will make more cannabis legal than the type that's already legal. Mm-hmm. I believe that strongly. Um, I, I hope that the industry somehow remains in as fractionated as possible. Yeah. I, I don't want there to be any big players. I want there to be a zillion small players so that humans mm-hmm. all really have a chance to succeed. That there's small cannabis companies, not big ones. Yeah. We don't need fucking McCannabis. And we're, we're going right towards that right now. I, I would love to see some kind of situation that makes it where the industry is so spread out and so broken down that individual families really have a chance to succeed in it. And I'm scared that our extremely corrupt government is not going to do that. But I wish they would. I know. I wish something would happen that would make it where you can't have a farm to more than five acres and no no, no other way to that. Fuck you. Yeah. It's something that's, that just breaks it down where we can keep it small and keep it where we don't have to work for each other, where we all mm-hmm. just work for ourselves. You yeah. Know? Entrepreneurship can take root and do its thing. That's what I would love to see more than anything. I'm scared we're not going to get there because mm-hmm. the people that are putting money in the politicians' pockets are not the small cannabis farmers. Yeah, it's the big ones, and but that's what I wish I would see. Man.
1: Yeah. All right, you have a lot of empathy, obviously, yes. clearly, and I believe empathy is a superpower. Um, what? Where do you see yourself in five years, and what brings you hope? Hmm.
0: I, I am. Um, I don't think I'm going to change much over the next five. I'd like to believe that I will. I'd like, I would like—I know I'll get better at everything. Mm-hmm. I really will. I'm always getting better. I'm always learning. I'm always fucking up. Always making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I try to learn from each one of them. I'm hoping that we're going to pull off some, like, some incredible raw pre-rolls that are going to help people experience it in a better way. I think we'll be going down that path more in the future. I want to be more of an advocate. Someone who, either through our actions or other methods really helps to elevate the entire industry towards where I think it should be, more towards a, a situation of mutual success um, with a lot of people rather than king of the mountain. Yeah. I, I look at it like this. If you're on top of a hill, that's, that's a great place to be, man, because if you fall down on a hill, you're not really going to fall down the hill. It's, it's gently sloped. You mm-hmm. know? It's not that dangerous. If you're on the top of a peak mountain and you trip and fall, you're going you're gonna to fucking die, man. Mm-hmm. You're going all the way down the <laughs> yeah. bottom. I, I don't try to, in my businesses and in everything we do, I don't try to create a peak at mountain mm-hmm. where we're on top and everyone else is on the bottom. It's, you try to bring as many people as you can with you to the top. And that way you got a nice big hill. And it's fun. And yeah. It's a lot more fun when you have other people with you. And it feels right, you know? i create my products through a through empathy yeah and everything i do is really em- very much through empathy. the whole thing of trying when i smoke with you i'm trying to understand how to better it i'm trying to understand your needs try to think every little detail of how you roll and how you smoke i'm trying to pay attention to it to see how i can make that better for you yeah why you did it that way because if you're doing it some way that i can make better for you the odds are there's a million more just like you and i can make it better for them too so i'm really trying to connect with you i'm trying to get those mirror neurons working in the front of the brain mm-hmm. trying to deeply connect and understand what your needs are and why you're doing what you're doing and every little detail I'll be like why is he doing that and like if we're really hanging out smoking you'll see my eyes kind of go glossy a lot while i'm trying to go into the state of trying to figure out like what is it what mm-hmm. is it what is it what is it what is that why why and suddenly it might come to me you know light up like oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, do you always roll like that? You just put your hand there, do you realize that? Your finger, ooh, 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 do you always do that? You're like, oh, I never really noticed it before. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, I know what i got to make. And that's where the next product comes from. Yeah. And that's the process of raw innovation. If you want to know how, the big secret, oh, I've had companies sue me trying to get to our secrets. I've had everyone trying to figure out, it's that, I just gave it away. <laughs> it's that state right there of trying to figure out how I can make it better for you and what mm-hmm. it is. And not doing it through a fake way of, What can we do to make it better for this group of testers? No, fuck you, dude. you got to hang out and sesh with somebody. Mm -hmm. you got to really hang out and chill and understand them and connect with them. And you can't do that in a panel. It's got to be done through your friends and just Mm -hmm. people, humans, man, you know? Uh, I can again... Uh, I'll, I'll keep you here all night, bro.
1: I love it. No, <laughs> listen, we could not end at a better point. So, anyways, thank you so much, Josh. It's been a pleasure. Um, I really, really think that our audience is going to get a deeper understanding of what's behind Raw and uh, and the man. Okay. That, but I don't that want them to have
0: a better understanding of what's behind Raw. I want them to, to ideally, if they listen to this, and especially if you came this far, I'm hoping that I helped you. Yeah. I'm hoping that I helped the listener. I'm hoping that somehow even if it's just a little bit, I elevated you or caused you to do something that betters the world in some fucking awesome way. That would be a success of this podcast in my, to me. You know what I mean? You yeah. don't need to know more I me. I'm just some fucking douchebag. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's more about you. It's more about the people who are going to listen to this. Can, I hope I helped you. I hope I elevated you. I hope I did something awesome that made just, maybe made one little spark of creativity go off in your and that would be fucking awesome
1: well to everybody listening to this or reading in the magazine let us know let us know and we will let josh know if you felt elevated if you felt touched and if you felt inspired from this yeah
0: if you carry it forward
1: that's right all right
0: we're all just one big beautiful tribe man that's the way it
1: is that's it thanks so much josh you're welcome all right